we're going to be in two passages, two different passages this morning. If you've got your Bible, we're going to begin in, in Proverbs chapter 12 in just a minute, just a couple of verses there. I'm going to wrap up our series on wise margin, how to establish and why we would want to have wise margin in our life. But I, I want to start this way. On the big screen, you're going to see two kind of contrasts. And the, the first one, that's a, obviously a piece of paper, and you may not be able to read what's on those pages, but it's the same scripture written on both pages. And so as you look at that, what, is it, what are your thoughts running through your mind? Uh, what's the contrast that's pretty clear between the two? Uh, and for me, I don't know about you, but the left one gives me a headache because, of course, there is no margin on either side. But I look at the other one, again, same message, same content, and I see focus. That margin on each side, that simple thing on each side of that page helps to me to give focus to something that is important to understand. In this case, God's word written out on the page. Well, that's not just applies to paper, of course. Look at the second contrast in images. We're going to talk about relationships today. And on the one side, you, you see people that are just basically too exhausted. They're in the same room, but they can't build any kind of community relationships with one another because they're all asleep. They're all just worn out. Uh, and on the other side is supposed to depict at least some people with some kind of margin in life, and that gives them breathing space to actually enjoy what God's blessed them with, and that is each other. Is that making sense? So this thing that we've been talking about last several weeks uh, here, let me be real clear. I've never intended from day one for this bring back of this series to be about taking a sledgehammer to you or making you feel guilty. Uh, quite the opposite. I'm hoping this will encourage you and myself to really relook at how critical wise margin is to our life, short term and long term. Uh, and do the effort, make, do the work that it calls for to establish those kinds of wise, biblically-based margins in our life uh, because I've done it both ways just like you. Uh, and it's not smart as a norm of life to have no margin. We all have periods of time. I've got a, my oldest daughter just had a baby. She, the little, or my little grandson is a month old. And I can guarantee you all the parents out there know what I'm about to say. Zero sleep. I mean, she has no sleep margin right now. Well, that's a stage of life. That's not a way of life. Is that making sense? So we're all going to have stages. I get that where we, we just can't help it. We're, we're dealing with life and we don't have margin. But that's not what is the topic. The topic is what is your norm? What is the norm of life that you and I are choosing day to day? So we're, we've looked, uh, beginning last week, two priorities in Scripture that are important according to God's word. The first priority in scripture is rest, believe it or not. And by rest, it could be more sleep. Most of us need to think about that in terms of long-term health and spiritual and emotional implications. Are you getting enough rest, literally speaking? But as we looked at last week, it is a rest that is focused on your relationship with Christ. So it's much more than just, much bigger topic than just more sleep. It's, do I have the space and margin to rest, listen, rest in Christ? 
Because Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest, right? You've got to have the space to come to him. So we looked at that last week. Well, today I want you and I to look at the other priority, and that's relationships, not only with Christ, but with one another. From one comes the other. And we're going to dig into having space to actually pursue and what it calls for to develop meaningful relationships with one another. Now, I love Dr. Swenson. I've been quoting him. He's a medical doctor, written a number of books, and one of them happens to be on this topic. And he said this, it'll be on the screen, even if we have little time for healthy relationships, we all instinctually understand their importance, that is, healthy relationships. Due to the antagonistic influences of, of marginless living, however, they are increasingly a rare commodity. Now, that's sad, is it not? Are you all awake? That is a sad story. And this is a medical doctor seeing a lot of people with a lot of stress and a lot of ulcers and a lot of other things. And in part, what he is seeing consistently is that they know they need healthy relationships, they need community, but yet they, they don't have the space, the breathing space, to do what is needed to develop, to pursue and develop. Let's look at what that means. Let's begin with Proverbs and look at what Proverbs says, two quick verses, but powerful, about what it means to pursue genuine friendships, genuine healthy relationships. And he starts with the topic of anxiety, of all things. Look at what he says. Anxiety weighs down the heart. Now, we know that, right? But a kind word cheers it up. So you can be weighed down or you can be cheered up. But look at the context. Look at where that comes from. Verse 26, very much connected. The righteous, the righteous. We'll come back to that in a minute. The righteous choose what? Their friends carefully. But... The way of the wicked, which is the opposite of righteous, the way of the wicked leads them. Who's the them? The righteous. The way of the wicked leads them where? Astray. Now look at the beginning. What, is, what does Solomon, who was granted a lot of wisdom by God himself, according to God's word, what does he assume about life? That you're going to experience What? Anxiety, exactly. And the word anxiety in the Old Testament refers to heaviness, sorrow. It refers in this case to a worrisome anticipation of something to come. You ever, you, you ever had something you got to deal with in the next day or whatever at work or whatever it may be, and you're just dreading it? Is that making sense? We've all had that experience, right? And, and it's almost in some cases like we can build up this anxiety that's actually worse than the actual problem, but nonetheless, it will what? According to God's word, that will weigh you down. That will take the heart down. You're thinking who you are. And so he's acknowledging a reality, but he's also acknowledging a resource that we all can have and should have by a blessing from God, and that is genuine friends to offer what? A kind word. Now look at the phrase kind word because it's important because this phrase kind word in the Old Testament refers to words that are actually valuable to the person with the anxiety. Does it make it, now, you stay with me here. This is a nuance that's important. Just because you give a word doesn't mean it's a kind word, right? 
Just because you're a genuine friend doesn't mean you say the right thing. You may have the right heart, right motive, but you can say all the wrong things for all the right reasons, and it's still wrong, right? So the idea here is it's a positive effect and not adding to the load of the friend. So the good friend, inspired by wisdom and righteousness in this context, is the person who doesn't just know. They, they, sometimes you don't say anything. You just be there, right? Come on. I, and this is just popping in my head. But my wife and I experienced our first child was a miscarriage. So that was just kind of a hard thing, young uh, family, young couple to go through. And my wife told me, and, and if I had been there, I'm young enough, I might have just slapped the lady. But it, well-intentioned, but the lady said, well, you're young enough, you'll you'll have more. Oh, well, gee, thanks. What, what a stupid thing to say. You see, this is words that actually help. And it's only when we're walking with Christ that he's going to inspire us with the right words, not just words. Even well-intentioned words can add to the anxiety and not. So here what we see is a resource of kind words that actually do something to help. Now look at verse 26 because it is in the context of our relationships with one another. And he goes on to say, look at it. It's not just anybody that chooses carefully, right? Who is it? The righteous. He says that on purpose. The righteous, of course, we've talked about this term. It's, it's in Scripture all over the place, Old and New Testament alike. The righteous refers to a believer whose heart and mind and choices and priorities are in alignment with Christ. In other words, you align yourself with the rightness of the character of Christ. In other words, you seek to live out of who he is. And so it's the righteous that what? Choose friends carefully, right? Now let's talk about the word friends there. According to my Facebook page, I've got 1,200 friends. No, I've got 1,200 acquaintances. Some of those are, are friends, right? The word friends here is not talking about acquaintances. It's not talking about who you're acquainted with. You'll be acquainted with a lot of different people over your, over your life, right? That all makes sense. That's not what's the word here. The, the word friends here means those who influence your life. The word friends is referring to those you would take advice from. So FYI, don't take advice from just anybody, even if they come to church. Hello, are you there? Just because they sit in a pew or sit in a chair and worship doesn't mean they're wise. It doesn't mean they're righteous. It doesn't mean you should be listening to them. And so he's saying righteous people that are walking with Christ, inspired by Christ, are going to choose People they allow to influence their life, people they would take advice from, they're going to choose those people, how? Carefully. It's not an exclusion club. You have a lot of acquaintances, but you're not going to have a ton of friends. Is that making sense? You're not going to have 1,000, 1,200 friends. Facebook's just kidding me, right? I don't have the capacity to do with all those people anyway, to be honest. So, so what, what God's Word is saying here is that relationships matter. And they can only go how they ought to go. We can only pursue meaningful relationships if we're inspired by Christ. He's the basis. God is the basis. It is the righteous who choose carefully. And then he turns around to make sure we get it. And he says, here's the contrast when you're not walking with God. He then says, the righteous, verse 26, choose their friends carefully, but, this is a bad but, but, the way of the what? Wicked, opposite of righteous, 
leads them, the righteous, astray. So choose your friends carefully. You see that phrase, leads them astray, is a picture of a drunk who's teetering, who can't even walk straight because they're under the wrong kind of influence. Friends matter. I know we tell that to our kids, but listen, adults, that matters to you too. Friends matter. Who you let influence your life matters. So in essence, what God's word is telling us is to pursue meaningful, healthy relationships. You've got to have the space to do so. You've got to be righteous, walking with Christ. You've got to have the breathing space to do so. And he says the value of that is to recognize, first of all, that genuine friends are important. What happens when I don't have margin in my life, among many other things? I take for granted the very blessed relationships I have whether with my wife, my kids, my friends I, I, I begin to take for granted this invaluable blessing in my life called friends called relationships healthy relationships and so if I have the breathing space I'm less likely to take for granted and forget the value number two, it will give you the space to choose carefully we've already talked about that, I won't belabor that any further when you walk with Christ, he'll give you insight that you won't have on your own. And he will help you choose carefully because it's the righteous who do so. Now let's look over in Ephesians, just a few verses, chapter four. If you've got your Bible, flip over there. It's to your right, keep heading. On past Corinthians, etc. you'll eventually get there. Look in your index if you can't find it. Don't be embarrassed. Chapter four, Ephesians. Paul then says, here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's how meaningful relationships are developed, which again takes space and time. It takes margin in order to do this. And I want you to notice as I read these verses that Paul starts with where Solomon starts. Just different words, but the same idea. Here's what I mean. Look at what he says. And he's talking about the body of Christ, developing healthy relationships among believers in the body of Christ. He says, as a prisoner, he's assuming something. He's talking to believers, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you, everybody, have received. And then he says, look at it, he gets it personal, gets the rubber meeting the road. He says what? Be completely humble. He's talking about in relation to one another and gentle. Be, oh, I hate that one, don't you? Be patient. Bearing with one another, how? In love. Then he says, verse three, very important. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We can know peace in our relationships with one another. Now go back to the beginning and again look at the basis. The basis for doing this, for developing meaningful relationships with one another is following Christ. And he puts it in pretty stark terms, pretty direct terms, right? He says, "You, if you truly are following Christ, you're what? Anybody want to go to prison? You're just dying to go to prison, right? But that's what we are. He says, we are a prisoner of the Lord. Now, here's the difference between prisoners, as we tend to think of it, going to prison. This is a choice. This is a willing bondage to Christ. In other words, when you go to prison, you don't have any control. 
You're told when to get up, when to eat, and when to do whatever. You are told every... That's the... Friend, listen, I know this is a hard one for our culture. And it's hard for me too, by the way. Jesus is not saying, I want part of your life. He's saying, I want all of it. He's saying, I want to be in control of all of it. You're my prisoner. Now, he's he's the best warden you'll ever have. He says... As a prisoner of the Lord, that's where you start. Are you submitting to him day to day in your life? Am I submitting to him, following where he leads? Am I really giving him control? And then look at what he says can happen next. As a prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, I urge you, I I plead with you, I urge you to what? Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, listen. When he used the word calling there, he didn't use the word pastor. Did you see that? What does that mean? It means everybody's got a calling. If you follow Christ, if you know Christ, if you're going to submit to him, you have a calling on your life. Now, listen, stay with me. That word calling is a really cool word. I hope you'll dig into just for a moment. It refers to God's calling, of course, but it is a calling to experience the blessing of redemption. It is a calling to live a redeemed life. Are you redeemed? Yes. Christ has redeemed you. He he has made that possible. And you do not have to choose to live as if you're not redeemed. You have a calling in your life to live a redeemed life. And he's going to show you how that works in your relationships in just a minute. You and I are a redeemed people. Live that way. One day at a time, one choice at a time. Live as if you're redeemed because you are. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, your expression of your calling may be different from mine, but we both have a calling on our life. We tend to use that word calling to, for vocational ministry only, right? That's a modern-day invention. We all, as believers, have a call on our lives. What's your call? What is your path? Are you really seeking it? What is your calling on your life? And then here's what that means. Look at the verse 2 and 3, and I'll wrap it up with this. Look at what, I love this. Because you'd almost get the impression he's talking about two different things, but he's not. Just like Solomon said, the righteous choose their friends carefully. Paul is saying in a different set of words, those who follow Christ can develop these kinds of meaningful relationships with one another. Because he's not talking about Jesus in verses 2 and 3. He's talking about you and I. He's getting really personal here, all right? Now look at verses 2 to begin with, verse 2. And he tells us you and I, through Christ, are called, inspired by Christ, to be three things and inspired by one. Let's look at what those three things are. First of all, he calls us because of the inspiration of Christ, choosing to live a redeemed life. Live according to your calling. He says, number one, our part is to be humble, which means to focus on who you see yourself as. To be humble doesn't mean you see yourself as less than, nor does it mean you see yourself as an inflated version. Is that making sense? It means you see yourself for who you really are. How do you do that? Through Christ. Ask Jesus. He'll tell you who you are. Ask Christ. He'll tell you where you are, both good and the bad. He will tell you who you are. So it's it's a reality-focused view of self 
in your relationships. So what he's saying, in order to build meaningful relationships, you and I have got to be inspired by Christ to be what? Humble. Humble. And then then that's connected to these other two things. Look at what he says next. Be gentle. Gentle is the word meek. You've seen that in some versions. It is the word that means strength under control. What does that mean? Again, keep it in the context, personal relationships. That means that even when you get mad at the other and you may have the power to take them down to ashes, you don't. It is the power to destroy, but inspired not to in the moment. Is that making sense? This is how meaningful relationships are developed. When we choose, inspired by Christ, to first of all be humble and then be gentle, strengthen their control. And then I love this word, patient. And specifically, what this is talking about is a willingness to put up with annoyances. Now, don't raise your hand and point fingers, but do, do people annoy you? When I drive, people annoy me. You ask my family, well, don't. But anyway, when I'm driving, there are a lot of annoying people around me. And it's all their fault, of course. Because I'm humble, it's all their fault, right? (laughs) You see, when we're truly humble, Christ will inspire gentleness. And at the same time, he'll give us the power, he'll give us an ability to say, okay, that's annoying, but it's not a world changer. I mean, really. In the big scheme of things, so what? He throws his socks in the wrong place or whatever. Those annoying habits with people we love, are always going to be there. And, and the problem is when we're not humble, we think everybody's annoying but us, right? But when we are humble, we'll have a real-life perspective on what the truth is. Now listen, stay with me. It is not you go out there and be humble, be gentle, and be patient. Because what, what does Paul say next? All this is inspired by one thing. Stay with me. What does he say? Do these things what in love and that's not just any award for love it's not about how you feel about your favorite rock band or whatever this word love is agape love we talked about before it's the love of christ and the love of christ has three important characteristics and if you've not heard this before write it down because this will change your life if you and i truly understand what love of christ really means first of all it means a love that's unconditional Inspired by Christ, you can choose to love without condition. It's not a contract. It's a covenant. Choosing to love without condition. Number two, it is a love that is a choice. Our world constantly is telling us that love is about how you feel, and God's word says no. It is only a choice of your will to either love the person in the moment or not. Whether you're annoyed at them or not, whether they leave the toilet seat up or not, you still love them, right? Come on. It is a choice of the will inspired by Christ. And number two, number three actually, is a love that is expressed through action. It's not really love till you express it. Till you let Christ inspire you, how can I love that person with some kind of action? It's not just about how I feel about them. It's about what they know. And then so he goes over and he wraps it up with this in verse 3. He talks about the effort. So there's where Christ can inspire us if we will choose in terms of developing meaningful relationships. But he says, here's the effort. Make every effort to what? Keep the unity, and I love this part, of the Spirit. Make every, listen, stay with me if you've been sleeping, wake up. Look at what this word or phrase means. It means it refers to prompt and earnest effort to keep the unity. 
Whose job is it to keep the unity of this body? Look around the room. Y'all got it. Perfect. I heard a number of people say us. Sometimes believers think it's the pastor's job to keep the unity. You know, the biblical word for that is baloney. It's in there. Look. Look for it. It is our job to keep the unity. We are the community, including myself. So what this means is if there's anybody that is is disparaging or trying to pull away from that unity of this community within this body of Christ, we ought to act promptly and earnestly. What does that mean? That means when you hear somebody gossiping about another within the body, say, that's not the best way to handle that. I mean, do it. Don't just pass by. Say, go talk to the person. Do you want me to go with you? Be an answer to, to the problem, not the problem. And when we ignore anybody that's, that's chipping away at the unity of our relationships, would you do that in your home, by the way? Would you let somebody barge in the middle of your family and just disrupt things and just passively let it happen? I hope not. Because God's word says, make every effort, prompt and earnest effort, and, and, and says, keep the unity, which is a reinforcement of making that effort. And what that means is to guard something that is valuable. Watch it and guard relational unity because it's incredibly important. Now, look at the last part of the verse, though, because this is where to land the plane. He didn't say we can create unity. Did you see that? It's not the unity of people. It's not the unity that I create. It's the unity of what? Of the Spirit. You see, man can create uniformity, trying to make it look like unity from the outside, pressure from the outside. It is only God's Spirit that creates true unity from the inside out. You see, when we submit to the Spirit's leading in our life, by the way, where does the Spirit live? You're the temple. I'm the temple. His spirit lives within you every single day if you're a believer. And I'm either submitting to his leading or I'm not. You know one sign of your submitting to his leading? We'll have unity. A sign that a church, a community of believers is submitting to the unity, to, to the, submitting to the spirit of, of Christ, the spirit of God in your life is relational unity with one another. So my point simply is this. This takes space and time to do this. And if you don't have wise margin, you can't do this. I can't do this. I can't pursue much less develop healthy relationships in my life. I may have shared this with you before. I can't recall. But one of my daughters, and I won't name her because I didn't get permission to, to, to do this. So I won't put their name on it. I think I have shared maybe a long time ago, but one of my daughters, when they were in elementary, young elementary age, wrote me a note, and I typed it up, and I've kept it in my electronic file because it represented to me an encouraging point that I actually did something right, right? One of those moments where I may have gotten something right, <laughs> especially with my, my family relationships, my kids, all right? So here, here's what my, my, one of my daughters wrote me when they were young elementary age, she, and I, can't, I don't think it was even Father's Day, I think she just wrote it, and she said, Dear Daddy, I love you lots. Put, put exclamations on all, all kinds of stuff. I love you lots. Thanks for all you do. You're the best dad ever. Now, here's the line, and here's the reason I kept this, this little note from my daughter. Though you're a pastor, the job you're best, out, best at is my father. 
I didn't expect that. And she, she went on to say, I love when you call me peaches and when you tuck me in at night. Thanks for being my daddy. Sorry, I did not know that it was going to hit me like that. <laughs> I've had this note forever and it still hits me. What's my point? My point is simply this. I must admit to you, there has been times in my life that I've allowed the good things of pastoring and I'm called and passionate about what God has called me to do. I, I love every second, even the hard stuff. I'm all in because I, I know I'm called doing what God has called me to do. So that's not even a question for me. But the problem is when I lose margin, I begin to let the good things of ministry crowd out the best things. And, 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 and this is no offense to anybody in the room in this church, but my bigger and more important role is a dad. My, if, if I'm going to choose one thing over another, it's got to be my relationships with the people that God has given me in life. Now, I don't think those two things are in battle all the time. They're not, but it takes wise margin. It takes wise margin in my life to make sure I don't get my, my priorities out of whack that I start living for the good things, I miss the best things. Is that making sense? And so the same is true for you, and I want this to be a point of encouragement that any one of us can lose our way. Any one of us can get in this trap that our culture encourages, quite honestly, to the point that we lose sight of what's best in the midst of a bunch of good. Are you there? We, we all drift. You have, to, you have to maintain wise margin as well. And so my, my encouragement to you is just start taking the steps, the simple steps first, the short-term goals first, and then let the bigger picture play out over months, maybe years, but start the process of reestablishing and establishing wise margin because it will help you and I live a life that is worthy of the calling we have. Let's pray. Amen. Father, thank you for your patience, for your grace, and for your help, your very inspiration to develop, pursue meaningful relationships, not only with you, but with one another. I'm so grateful for the family I have. I'm so grateful for the friends I have and have had over the years of my life. They are a blessing from you. So forgive me, forgive us for those times where we've gotten so overloaded with, with stuff that we lose focus on what you have blessed us with, what is the best. Father, help us establish wise margin in our lives. It is in Jesus' name that we do ask. Amen.